Welcome into the Dubcast, Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on a look back at week one. Somehow that has happened. It has been Labor Day, which is my favorite weekend in the whole world, uh, <laughs> especially when college football decides that they're going to like make it the coolest weekend sports-wise in the whole world. Like We had games starting Thursday all the way to Monday night. So many great games, so many cool matchups. And then, you know, sandwiched in the middle of it was a Buckeye opener um, that I enjoyed as much as I've enjoyed a Buckeye opener as long as I've been paying attention to Ohio State, my friend. It was fun, I'm sure. Uh, on Saturday, I know that you were there. We have a lot of things to get to on the show, including your review of the Bloody Beer, which will come <laughs> later. This program is, is right. brought to you by the, by the Dry Goods Shop at 11warriors.com. The Czar has, I think I'm making him feel guilty. Today he came up to me when we were taping the television show at Time Warner Cable. And he said, uh, you know, do you really want a shirt? And I said, yeah, I do. I really want a shirt. I want a Sherman shirt and I want it a size large, if you don't mind. And uh, that that would be nice. That would be a good token. I mean, but at the same time, you know, like, come on, Czar. Like, let's get it figured out. So the Czar, I, I know it is. And the other thing is the Czar made his television debut. Uh, not debut. He's been on TV before, but I made him wear short uh, pants for the first time in like four months. <laughs> and the czar was not happy about that. He's not. So, yeah, he's a shorts dude. He's a shorts and flip flops type of guy, I think. So, right. Um, which incidentally for me, he never took. <laughs> flip flops don't work for me. I can't wear flip flops and I can't do cigars. Two things that I think I would have liked and neither one take. Uh, but as for the Buckeyes, they did take my friend. And um, I said off the top, and you and I were talking before we started recording. That was just pure joy, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. you were at the game. I mean, what was the feeling in the crowd, in the stands, of the people there, and I, just so kind of taking that in? I actually wasn't at the game. I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately. Um, we did have a lot of guys, however, you know, attend and, and, and yeah. check it out. And, and from all reports, it was, it was excitement. Like, people were, I think, really um, excited to get into the new season to see how the new guys would pan out. I was super excited about it. Um, and, and honestly, like, again, I wasn't able to go, but from my vantage point at home, I was super stoked because usually, you know, Mac conference games earlier in the season make you just want to, you know, punch yourself in the face repeatedly for three and a half hours, at least under Jim Trestle. Right. And, um, and again, I attended the Akron game back in the day, which it was like 85 degrees and then it rained and then everybody got soaked and then it became 95 degrees and y'all hated yourself. And I think the score was like, two to nothing at halftime this is nothing like that this was actually entertaining and fun and made me enjoy life for about you know three and a half hours on a saturday so i i was i was ecstatic i thought it was great it, it honestly is not how i thought it was going to pan out but they played amazingly well you know what it reminded me of the analogy that i've used many times describing this football team is you know, like ramsey bolton's dogs that haven't eaten right <laughs> like these dogs that are just they're hungry man. they are man like they're just eating through you know, bars and they will eat Ramsey if need be. And um, that's the way the analogy I've used. What, what I saw on Saturday was like the first time you get like, like if you bring a puppy home and after <laughs> they kind of get their sea legs and see where they are and they just run like hell and right. run into stuff and are so fast and bouncing around and bouncing off of walls and eating the cartons and eating uh, the, the couches and, you know, peeing and pooping everywhere and doing whatever the hell they want. That's what it felt like to me. Like they just felt like this free puppy that was unfettered and unleashed and running around like maniacs. And it was so much fun. And I said last week on the show, and I've said many times on my radio show up here, or even on the television show that we're doing that, boy, I've, I was really looking forward to this season just for that reason. Like last year was, there was so much pressure and, and so much like, well, damn it, if they don't win this, they're going to blow it, you know? And there's none of that, you know, like there's just these young dudes that are bouncing around and you just get to see these guys almost like the spotlight discover them. 
you know, it was cool to see like Malik Hooker, who's a guy I talked about all last week. And I'm not the only one. I'm not reinventing the wheel with that. But this is a guy that everybody was dying to see play free safety. And then he like makes the best play of the weekend in college football and has another pick and looks like Sean Taylor running around out there. Like it was so much fun to see these guys, like the exuberance. Like I said, they just reminded me of like, you know, three month old puppies running around like maniacs. It was awesome. I loved it. Well, and that's the thing because, you know, I think at a certain point in the season, the coaches start getting on them about certain things and, you know, you've got to become a better team. You got to tighten X, Y, and Z up and maybe become a little self-conscious, especially when you're younger players. And you're right. I mean, this was just unfettered joy. Just go out and do whatever the hell you want. You know, God, I mean, Curtis Samuel, Curtis Samuel <laughs> destroyed the world on Saturday. And, and granted, I've known that he is a pretty decent player for a while. I didn't expect he would come out and have like almost like, you know, 250 yards total offense or more. Uh, yeah, with as many catches that he had, he was amazing running the ball. I mean, I think when you give people an opportunity, right? People who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for their moment. And then when you let them loose, like all that energy, I mean, Curtis Samuel's been sitting behind guys for years now. Like, yeah. and now he's got that chance. Like that's, that's a remarkable, really fun thing to watch to see somebody kind of live up to that. And I'm sure, you know, for them, it can't be easy waiting for that and you know on saturday i think was the the fruits of their labor you know it's funny you bring up curtis sam i think it was 22 total touches 261 yards and three touchdowns and what's funny johnny is every year on the beat and this actually goes back to when i was at florida covering urban is from the day percy harvin left the university of florida we would go into camp the next year and we would say well who's going to be the next percy harvin who's the next percy harvin and we've said that every year at Ohio State, like, oh, this he's in the Percy Harvin role. Think Percy Harvin. He's the next Percy Harvin. And nobody has been the next Percy Harvin. They've had right. a ton of ultra-talented guys. Um, there, there was a kid named Deontay Thompson who was a huge recruit when he was at Florida that just never materialized into that. You know, certainly we put uh, Dontre Wilson in that role or Jalen Marshall in that role. And uh, we've tried Corey, you know, Philly Brown in that role. We've tried all sorts of guys in this, you know, next Percy Harvin role. And they've all been great players in their own individual rights. But nobody was of the Percy Harvin mold. I mean, a guy who could literally do everything that had the build Percy had. People don't realize how big he is. He was yeah. a big kid. He had a lot, of, a lot of meat to him. He was big and physical and then ultra quick in one cut and he was gone. That's what Curtis Samuel is. He actually is in the Percy Harvin mold. He's big. He's 200 pounds. He's a bigger kid. He can play running back. He can play slot. He's got a one cut go, makes people miss, and he's gone. This is the, and Urban said it afterwards, you know, that we haven't had a guy like that for a long time. And I don't think they've had anybody quite like this since Percy. And I say that acknowledging that Percy Harvin was probably the most dangerous weapon in college football of the 2000s or on a very short list in terms of all the things that he could do. And I think that's what they have now with Curtis Samuel. And when we were talking last week about replacing Ezekiel Elliott, I think you got a little glimpse into how that's going to happen. Cause Mike Weber that was first, great. that first carry, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Mike Weber was great. He, he was a, you know, a pounder, strong legs run with force, so forth and so on. But you also saw that this is going to be a two headed monster and Samuel's going to get some carries and he's going to be dangerous. And boy, is it exciting to kind of see that kid, as you said, who waited and waited and waited. And now, boy, here we go. It's his, it's his world. And if, if him or JT, one of those guys is going to be at the Heisman, I don't know which one, one of them is going to be there. Well, and that's the thing I loved about JT Barrett's game. I mean, he really did an incredible job at spreading the ball around and making sure that other, I mean, again, Curtis Samuel, nine receptions, that's awesome. But the fact that guys like KJ Hill obviously get super involved, you know, right off the bat, yep. uh, Noah Brown, Dontre, well, all these dudes who, again, have been waiting for a while for their shot are getting that. And I think, 
part of it is because, you know, they talked a little bit about, and we, we said this before we started recording, you know, they were tailoring certain plays and certain, you know, I guess Jeez. offensive concepts, right, to certain players. Yeah. But look, JT Barrett's style is to spread it around. If you're open, he's getting it to you. He does not care who you are or, you know, how you performed on the previous play. You're going to get the ball if you're open. You're going to get the ball if you're going to make something, you know, happen with it. And as a result, you know, like seven, I think he spread around like seven or eight different guys. Like that's incredible. And that's his game. And that's what I love about that because it's not that he had to focus on one dude. I mean, granted, Curtis Samuel got a lot of catches. But if Curtis Samuel's being like, you know, they're they're shoving triple teams at him or whatever, they're bumping him in line of scrimmage, doing whatever they can to take him out of the game, JT Barrett will just shrug his shoulders and go, fine, and then throw, you know, 300 yards to five other guys. And I love that. And that's really what I was looking for offensively on Saturday. Will JT Barrett be able to get those other guys involved? And you saw it right off the bat. So I, I love that. Yeah, that was awesome. I think two things on that. One, JT Barrett is a, like a quarterbacking robot to me. He's engineered <laughs> – to give it to the right guy at the right time by yeah. Urban Meyer. He's the perfect quarterback. I mean, I know Urban probably, you know, at this point, he probably loves Tebow more, but I don't think anybody's run Urban's offense better than JT. And that's saying something because he's had Alex Smith and he's had Tebow and he's had Braxton Miller. But I don't know if anybody's run it at a higher octane than JT in terms of what it's supposed to be. I'm not saying he's as physically gifted as those players uh, or even as good a quarterback as, as certainly as, as Alex was and really Tebow, you could argue, is one of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history. But just from the standpoint of executing the offense, no one has had the tools and the ability and the know-how to do it as well as JT does. That's the first part. The second part that's interesting to me is the quote that you brought up. And Eric had it on our site. And um, I know a lot of people were around JT when he said it. But when, and I'm paraphrasing here, but for the a quarterback who finished fifth in the Heisman two years before, after his first game two years later, to say that last year they called plays to get specific guys the ball instead of just giving it to the open man, which goes against the principles of the offense, confirms my worst fears from a season ago. Fears that I have articulated many times on various platforms that this coaching staff coached last year with tremendous burden and tremendous obligation, and they were conflicted. And that quote confirmed all of it, buddy. I w- it was, yeah. you know, it was one of those things where I, it was like the worst, I told you so, you know, like <laughs> there's sometimes when you say I told you so, and you wish you didn't have to, because it just confirmed your worst fears. And that's what my fear was that that's the way that they lost that season a year ago is, you know, dicking around with trying to get everybody in the NFL that needed to get to the NFL and get Braxton Miller ready for the NFL and all these things. JT Barrett saying that confirmed it to me. And now that's all gone. And now they can just go back to playing football again. Uh, what was the cost? Well, potentially a national championship in back-to-back years. I don't want to dwell on the past too much, but that to me was a startling admission from JT Barrett um, after the game on Saturday. I think we like to pretend sometimes that you know football teams, especially successful football teams and coaches like Urban Meyer, are somehow immune to some of those forces, some of those factors of like you know. I owe somebody something or that we need to, you know, reward someone's past work or we need to look out for some of the seniors, stuff like that. And I think we tell ourselves that because they kind of promote that. They say like, you know, the freshmen are going to play if they can play and all that kind of stuff, but they're not, they're still vulnerable to those types of considerations. And I, I mean, look, JT was kind of stating the obvious. I don't think anybody who watched that season would say that, yeah, maybe they were favoring some things when they really shouldn't. Um, but again, you know, this is JT's game. This is how he plays on Saturday, like against, you know, uh, against the the team that they just completely annihilated in Bowling Green. Like that's who he wants to be as a quarterback. And it's refreshing 
after a season where, like you said, they seemed really conflicted, to just let him be him and, and, and do what he likes to do at the quarterbacking position. And, I mean, they put up the most offensive yards in Ohio State history. Like, I don't care who the <laughs> opponent is. Right, you lose yeah. everybody on yep. offense, and then you come out and have the best offensive performance in literally the history of Ohio State football. That says something about the guy you have at the quarterback position. That also says something, I think, about the offensive coaching continuity that's going on and, and maybe where they're at mentally um, as a team. Yeah, it it's yeah, it does. We've slugged through a lot of Mac openers or Mac second <laughs> games that were just uh awful to get through. And this wasn't. It was brilliant, it was fun, which leads us to my last topic on the opener, and that is my God, is it good to be a Buckeye fan? I um <laughs> yeah. yeah. I I mean I did the pregame show up here in Cleveland on ninety two three the fan, and I had some back and forth with the Cleveland Alumni Association up here who just I mean, there's just this huge huge outpouring of Buckeye fans up here. Like the Browns are tanking and they're just dying for something to gravitate to all the younger kids for sure. Um, you know, they want one thing to hang on to and they're, my God, you can't root for the Browns. So, I mean, the Buckeyes are just dripping with swag and I'm watching this team, Johnny, and I'm going, Holy hell. Like they, they lost two safeties that are going to, I mean, one as an undrafted free agent made the Seattle Seahawks at safety which is the best, right. they get the best secondary in the league. He made the team. And the other one plays for the Saints and is going to play. Like two NFL safeties. The, and then I watched Malik Hooker run around. I went, wow, he might be better than both of them. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm watching these receivers. I'm watching Noah Brown, and I'm going, oh, good grief. Like, who is, look at this kid. <laughs> we, heard, we were doing the television show today, and Zach said, if you listen to guys last year on the team, they thought Noah Brown was the best receiver last year before the injury. And now we get him without the the rest of those guys, without that burden, with just throw it to him when he's open. Mike Weber running the way he ran, the offensive line. I know Urban like kind of downplayed some of their mistakes and stuff, but gosh, I thought they were pretty great. I mean, you hate losing Tracy Sprinkle, but I mean, on the defensive line, it was solid at linebacker. Just, I just don't know that Ohio State, and really there's not many programs in the history of college football that have, have it as good as Ohio State has it right now. Alabama currently has it that way, and we'll talk about them a little later. Um, but they currently have it that way, and they have for about eight, nine years. Uh, Florida State in the 90s had it that way. But even Ohio State in the 90s, with all the talent they had, there would be a down year, or there would be a year when the talent wasn't quite as high. Right. There's none of that here. I mean, this is if ever there was going to be a drop, if you're going to get Ohio State, you damn well better get them this year because you're not getting them next year. Oh, next no, next year they're going to be terrifying. And for the immediate future, what I will say that this win does, and, and especially with the emergence of all those playmakers, is that it puts an enormous amount of pressure on the team to perform extremely well at Norman, right? Like, they can't – it used to be, I think before the season started, I was okay with them losing at Norman. I was like, all right, that's growing pains. That's to be expected. But with the way Oklahoma performed on Saturday and with the way Ohio State performed on Saturday, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be really upset if they don't at least take it to the Sooners and, and probably win that game because um, they looked incredible. Now, granted, that's, you know, we still got Tulsa to contend with, I guess. Um, but <laughs> in theory, right? In theory, like, yeah. And I think still, that's what, I mean, that's, go ahead. that's something people are thinking about. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing that Urban did. If you listen to his press conference on Monday or read the transcript on the site, um, you know, I think that's what he's trying to do is, you know, the, the challenge for him is, he has to have these guys feeling bulletproof by Oklahoma, but at the same time, he can't have them feeling so bulletproof that they allow Tulsa to hang around on Saturday. You know, oh, yeah. so and that's the tightrope. Yeah, that's his tightrope. Is he's got to make sure that his team is 
completely bulletproof going into Norman, but at the same time focused and realizing they got a long way to go. And I, I was as I listened to him on Monday and then listened to some of the interviews uh, that we had on the site from some of the players, Gary and Connolly specifically, seemed to me like he got his message across. And Zach said something great on the TV show today. He said, look, they call it Bloody Tuesday for a reason. He said, those guys got the hell beat out of them today, period. Um, no matter how good you thought you looked in the opener, Urban beat you up pretty good on uh, on Tuesday's practice. Yeah. And that's and you got to do that as a coach. I mean, especially when your team destroys another team by you know sixty plus points. I mean, it's you can't allow, especially a young team, to get a big head, and you especially can't allow them to maintain that. I don't know that aura of invincibility when they really haven't earned it yet. I mean, you want to be you want to go into Norman beat Oklahoma. That'll help a lot if you want to get you know survive kind of the back end of the schedule. That'll help a lot. You if you want that invincibility, you want a feeling that you're the best team in the world. Have it in the last couple of weeks of the season. That's great because yep. you're going to need it. But at this point in the season, you got to earn it. And if they can replicate that performance against Tulsa and then go into Oklahoma and really show people something and what's going to be a gigantic game nationally, um, I think that will will really go a long way towards establishing what they want to eventually do towards the end of the season. Right now, if you look at the odds, I mean, Ohio State's right up there in terms of, you know, national championship. Yeah. So, I mean, people are are, are wanting to put money on them, and they got to prove it. Yeah. Which is, I didn't mean to get into this whole thing, but it just reminded me, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, and I hear it so many times from Ohio State fans about how they're disrespected nationally. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, you were the, you are yeah. always a top five pick to win the national championship. You always have a top five guy in the Heisman. There's like 87 former Buckeyes working at national television places. I mean, like, you can't, yeah. you can't watch TV on Saturday and not see a former Buckeye on TV uh, if you watch college football. It's like, I'd have never understood that, like, that they think they're disrespected. I had a guy uh, on Facebook say that uh, JT Barrett's underappreciated and disrespected. I said, Coach, he finished fifth in the Heisman as a redshirt freshman. Like, what are you talking about? He's like the third pick this year to win the Heisman. Because um, Ohioans so, can't handle success. That's that's the problem. Like, that if somebody tells you you're good, I have this exact same problem, Bo. If somebody tells me I'm doing okay or that something went well, I'm like, shut uh, up. Don't tell me no. that. Don't say that. Things are horrible. I am awful. Everything sucks. And then we'll somehow make it better. But don't tell me we did okay. Tell me I'm awful and then we'll be all right. And that's why, and honest to God, that's why I think Urban Meyer is so successful, especially in the state of Ohio, because he appeals to that that voice in the back of every Ohioan's head that says, you've got to be angry and upset at all times or else you're going to be bad. And, and that's, Yeah, but he's also cocky. So. He is super, he's super cocky, but only to the point like – after the win, right? Like he'll he'll yeah. get real air and you know and whatever. But yeah. Ohio State fans don't want to hear that they're good. They want to be yeah. the underdog at all times because that's how you can like process success, right? I think that's You're probably good. why. I think this that's probably LA, why. <laughs> no, I know, but I, it's I feel like we have to get used to it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we are Don yeah. Draper now. Like that's who we are. Right. It's funny because when it's now that you bring that up, when Urban first got hired. And I was doing the radio show in Columbus. There was all these people who would call in that like didn't like him. I remember people calling and goes, he hasn't proven anything yet. He hasn't won anything in Ohio. He hasn't won anything in the Big Ten. And I think like his his straightforwardness and his self-assuredness, I think it like was startling to people. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were like, what the hell is this? That's not how we act. And (laughs) and it's funny you say that because I've never heard that explained that way. And it makes sense to me. It kind of makes sense as the way that his initial hiring and that first season went, um, there were so many people that saying, well, he's nothing. He's not Trestle, all this stuff. And I'm like, just wait, give it a minute. We'll right. see. Well, people just, we'll see how it works out. I think, I think he grew on people when he started saying that the team was like crap. 
you know, when he got there and said, these guys are, you know, they're soft yeah. and we need to get but like that people, I think that enamored a lot of people to him just because yeah. they want to hear that. They want to hear that their team could be great, but right now it sucks. And right now, it's yeah. working towards that greatness. And again, you know, in, in this state, like it's, it's a huge cliche and, and, you know, Nike and ESPN, everybody's going to play it up to the hill. And, but I think they're right. You know, we, a lot of Ohio State fans truly, I think, want to believe that greatness is earned. It's not bestowed on anybody. And, yeah. you know, you live in a state that, you know, Rust Belt, all this other stuff. And you want right. to hear that enough work will get you to a certain point. And mm-hmm. you don't want to just be given anything. So, I, you know, I get it. And, um, I, again, I like the narrative, too. I love the idea yeah. that there's a bunch of, like, young, hungry guys who are just going to go out there and work their butts <laughs> off, and maybe they're not awesome, but they're going to work real hard and beat everybody in their path. Like, I love that. It's not true, but I love right. that because you're right. Do you watch, All these guys are five-star recruits. They're going to be great no right. matter what. But Do you watch Mad Men? Yeah. Oh, Did absolutely. Did you watch Mad Men? Okay. Yeah. So, essentially, what, what, you, want, what you want Ohioans to be is kind of like, you know, like, Although he was kind of a schemer and an ass, but like you want him to be like a hustler, like Pete Campbell. Who yeah, just hustle. exactly, exactly. You in want reality, to be the, you want to be the little sneaky guy in the background, right. or Peggy. Here's the news even flash. Peggy. Even Peggy might even be better. Here's the yeah. news flash: You're Don Draper, right? It's easy for you. Like that's I'm I'm telling you, you are Don Draper. You're not Peggy, and right. you're not Pete Campbell. Ohio State football is Don Draper. That's who Ohio State is. They can roll in and pitch the. Uh, the Kodak carousel in their sleep on a hangover. That's who we're, that's what Ohio state is. You know what I mean? Right. Like they can go to the big sir and come up with the Coke jingle to end the show. Like that's who they are. Um, so that's a, that's an, it's an interesting dichotomy for Ohio. I've never heard it said that way. That's really interesting. I appreciate that a great deal. Um, having been around the program now for like 10 years and never quite being able to understand that, um, yeah. that, that that's the way it's viewed versus the reality of what the program is. So, uh, that's fascinating. Let's go around the Big Ten briefly. And speaking of Don Draper type swag, um, before we get to the big win for Wisconsin, we'll go to the big house. And again, credit where it's due with them. Like they, and it makes it's, I'm excited because I can't wait for it to be a really big game again. And I think we're headed for that. Um, yeah. But it's it's pretty. You know, if you watched uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, when Alec Baldwin takes the brass <laughs> balls out of the briefcase and sets them on the thing, like it's a pretty brass balls on the desk thing when you roll out Derek Jeter and Michael Jordan for your opener like that's right. a pretty big deal to do that and then you just then you kind of perform on the field too like they annihilated their team you know played Hawaii who's garbage but um kind of looked the part for the first time in a very long time my man yeah I gotta tell you something though we talk about identity crisis with Ohio State fans imagine being a Michigan fan right now like you don't know what you're at you're like it, this is like I, it's like taking a dog like they think they're going to the vet and then instead you just take him to like I don't know a giant fire hydrant like amusement park or something like that like they don't have any idea how to react yeah. to the fact that they have these guys in their stadium that I mean again you want to talk about grumpy midwesterners and stuff I mean it, right Ohio State Columbus is practically Las Vegas compared to the way Michigan State or excuse me Michigan fans process yeah I'm sure they'll love that Michigan fans process what's happening to their program right now um yeah that's unbelievable the branding everything that they're doing I mean you got to give them credit for that and really the proof is in the pudding because if they came out and they sucked that'd be one thing but yeah they look good damn it like their their defense the fact that they have a quarterback who has just stepped into that role and been awesome and granted that's a large part due to their you know, head coach, but right. 
it, it really is impressive what they've been able to do in just a few short years. And, and honestly, there were some dudes who maybe questioned Harbaugh's desire or, you know, his investment in this entire job. And I, I think that has to be completely wiped away by now because what he's oh, been gosh. able to accomplish in just a couple of years is unbelievable. Yeah, now he's got to get it done on the field. He's got to beat Ohio State. He's got to do a yeah. bunch of things. He's got to beat Michigan State first before he can worry yeah. about Ohio State. But he's got to do those things. But um, that was a big day for them, you know, to get kind of get that going. And I'm excited for it because I'm of the opinion that they have to be good for that game to really matter. So Agreed. I'm excited for them to get back to being good. And um, I think they're off on the right foot. Um, I also got to give tremendous credit to Wisconsin because – to host LSU. And if you saw that game or the highlights of it, you saw there were, that was in Lambeau, but there were a ton of LSU fans, a ton. It was almost 50, 50. It was, there was a huge amount. Like to me, I was going to say, that's what it looked like to me. Uh, But that was a big time win for Wisconsin and kind of, you know, I've really poo pooed the big 10 West in all of the lead up to the season. Like we didn't even talk about them. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) All we did was let's preview Michigan state, Michigan and Ohio state. That's it. That's the only teams that matter. But, you know, it's possible, and in fact, I would say likely now at this point, that I vastly overlooked Wisconsin and that Paul Chris did a hell of a job getting his team ready a year ago and that that carried over. And maybe he's a little closer to the Barry Alvarez tree than we than I wanted to give him credit for because that is a hell of a win over what many people say was the most talented team LSU under Les Miles has ever had. Their defense looked great. They were extremely prepared for what they were going to bring with Fournette and some of the other guys. And and granted, you know, Brandon Harris, the LSU's quarterback is not great. And a lot of people raving about his progression over the off season that didn't come to fruition, but what they were doing defensively, how they were able to confuse what LSU was trying to do. I was super impressed by it. I honestly thought they were going to blow it towards the end of the game, but they just, they clamped down on them and and they performed really, really well, uh, you know, at Lambeau. And I, I don't know necessarily that, you know, I feel like that's the kind of game that a team can get up for once and maybe not sustain that yeah. for the entire season. It, it'll be, you know, remains to be seen how well Wisconsin performs going forward. But that was a hell of a win on their part. And the only part about it that I did not enjoy is the fact that it's going to be next to impossible to get a Southern team to play in the North now. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that game is going to be used as evidence for every AD in the SEC for the next 10 to 15 years about why they yeah. will never play an away game up north. And that's really sad to me because I think you might see more results like that if they have to go, you know, well, north of the Mason Dixon line. You know, here's a way that I think that could happen. That game was played at Lambeau, so that's a historic place. And Miles is a guy who loves his history, so I understand that. Right. I could see Ohio State playing a southern team at a neutral field. Now, neither no Ohio State's cult, you know, complicit in this too, because they don't want to give up a home date. But I could see Ohio State playing a southern team like at in East Rutherford, New Jersey, or in Chicago, someplace that's got some recruiting. That would be cool. You know what I mean? Like Soldier Field or Giant Stadium or Jet Stadium, whatever the heck it's called. Um, So I could see them doing something like that in like a recruiting hotbed. So you could get like, you both could like recruit Jersey kids or both could recruit the Chicago area or whatever. Um, I could see maybe something like that, them coming up. But you're right. It's a, you know, it's never, you know, I don't think Florida's played an out of conference uh, game out of the state of Florida in like 20 years. Like, I mean, they just don't do it. Like they, they won't do it. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, now some of that's because they usually play Miami and Florida state. So it's a little misleading, but, um, but that's, that's, that's kind of the way that that goes. I was also re- thought watching LSU's just, just fumble F around and just thinking like how frustrating it must be 
to be an LSU fan. And I couldn't help but wonder if it was similar to the way you felt as Ohio State fans with John Cooper, except Les Miles at least won one national championship. But you just saw all of this talent go to waste because of and I don't know. I, I wasn't that close to the program then. I watched them from afar. I thought they were a fun team to watch those Ohio State teams of the '90s. But just wild incompetence. And I'm speaking of LSU of their coaching staff. Like yeah. they're the worst coach team in America. It's inexcusable that Brandon Harris can't play quarterback. Like if Brandon Harris had come to Columbus and was the quarterback at Ohio State, can you imagine how good he would be? My guess is very good. Or if he'd gone to Clemson, or if he'd gone to Florida State, or and I mean, kid could have gone anywhere. He's a five star kid. He could have gone anywhere. He went to LSU. They're so bad at coaching offense. And I just think if you're an alumni of, of LSU or a huge LSU fan and you have to watch that incompetence year in and year out and a waste of talent like that, it has to be maddening. Well, it's crazy, right? Because the narrative surrounding Les Miles and the coaching staff at LSU has just been so completely bipolar the past, you know, eight nine months or whatever since the you know the, they they lost those games and then ran off a bunch of you know wins at the end of the right. season and everybody was talking about how you know that was a fluke that was just a you know random occurrence Les miles still a great coach he's awesome blah 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 and then they come out and they go up to lambo and they lose to a wisconsin team that they really were just expected to push around especially offensively yeah, the got to four i mean the, the 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 line got to 14 that's what i'm saying like it, it went from it, 10 to 14 overnight Right. And and as and as less miles, you can't lose that game. You cannot lose a game where you're expected to win by that big and you have had that much pressure on your job uh going through last season. So I I don't know how LSU is gonna react to it. I, I you know, it could be a I'm sure they would put the pull the trigger on a mid season fire at this point, um, if something else happens. But yeah, man, I it, it is baffling and I still think Les Miles is a good coach, but there's definitely something missing there, and it's not just like adding a cool offensive coordinator. Um, no, I, I, and I think it le- that leads us to our next, as we kind of go down to the next next group of things I want to discuss, and that's Tom Herman, who right. hosts Oklahoma, at, you know, hosts at NRG uh, Field Stadium or Field, whatever the hell it's called. Um, but, I mean, it's a 50-50. It's a neutral site game for sure. Oklahoma's going to travel to that versus a non-BCS conference, Power 5 conference opponent. And he kind of dominated Oklahoma and I know Oklahoma doesn't play well in front runner status, but um, to handle them like that, I mean, that was a two score game for much of the game. You know, Houston was the better team. Clearly they were out coached, out schemed, looked like they had better players. That was a stunning turn of events. And um, not that Houston won, because I think we all thought with Greg Ward Jr. And with Tommy Herman, like they could get, they could get done. We know how good of a coordinator. We know who Tom Herman is. Right. uh, Obviously. But um, that was such a, incredible shot and they're up to number six in the polls now and i'm looking around and with the big wins at texas and texas a&m long seasons for those two coaches obviously we're still kind of on the mild hot seat but i'm looking at lsu and i'm thinking i wonder if i wonder if my man tommy herman's going to be running <laughs> out in death valley next year uh at lsu and i'll I try would, i would tell him to take that job in a second because you can win really big there yeah they, they will definitely try I, I mean as far as that game goes i think I was shocked as much as, you know, or, you know, Houston going in there looking as good as they did. That wasn't a big shock to me just because of Tom Herman's, you know, capability. I was more surprised by Oklahoma shooting itself in the foot repeatedly, you know, regularly, especially towards the end of the game. Um, That definitely changes the dynamic of the matchup against Ohio State. But as far as Tom Herman goes, you know, I don't, everybody was looking for him at the end of last season. I assume the exact same thing will happen during this season. I, I feel like he's a dude who's trying to pick a spot, if that makes sense. 
You know, if he yeah, really wants LSU, enough, you know. if, if he wants LSU, he'll take it. Um, but I think he's looking for something very specific, and it'll be interesting to see how he actually, how long he actually ends up hanging around Houston. I mean, they're they're going to pay the dude, um, so it's not going to be an issue with that. And honestly, if they keep winning, I mean, look at the guys in front of them. They can make the college football playoffs this year at Houston. Right. I, I mean, if you can win a national championship with Houston, why? I mean, why not just pick your spot if you really want to go? Well, because Houston pays him three million dollars to be the head coach. That's the most uh, they've ever paid for a coach, and they're not going to. They don't. They can't go a whole lot more than that. And LSU That's can true. pay seven or eight million in their sleep. Right. Um, and it's just a different level. I mean, it's just a totally different level. And I think he's smart enough. I know he's smart enough. I knew he was smart enough not to leave after one year. I also know he's smart enough not to do like uh, Chris Peterson did at Boise State and stick sure. around too long. Right. And so I, I would say that he would follow the urban path. Like this guy has copied urban on everything. <laughs> Copy is the wrong word. Emulate. I mean, be inspired by all of, and why wouldn't you? Urban's with Saban are the two best. Um, I think he's on a two year track at, at Houston and then it's a big job. And I think it's, I think LSU's in play. I wouldn't be surprised if USC's in play. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, anybody that struggles, is going to be calling on his door, and they'll be the best jobs in the country. And Texas and, and Texas A and M may make a change just to get him. I mean, I think it could be that mm-hmm. way. To me, the best job for him is Texas. I think it's you know along with Ohio State and USC, the three best jobs in the country. And um, you know, I know that Charlie had a big win in the opener, but is it sustainable? And you have an you have an, an opportunity to hire somebody like Tom much in the same way that the schools had an opportunity to hire Urban. Like we knew Urban would be what he was when Florida and Notre Dame both went for him. I mean, you think right. about that. A guy who's three years removed from coaching Bowling Green had his choice between Notre Dame and Florida. I yeah, mean, that's, that's what Tom's going to have. Tom was, you know, at Iowa State, you know, the time in Columbus, a couple of years at Houston, and he's going to have the pick of the litter of the best jobs in the country. LSU's among them. It's a top 10 job for sure. Um, so the, I think the other thing, the sad part is the pipe dream of us waiting for him to replace urban. I don't think that's going to probably work out, unfortunately, but he is a, he is a shooting star in the profession to say the least. Yeah. I actually joked about it on Twitter. I was like, you know, Ohio state may just preemptively fire urban Meyer. Just to, <laughs> like, well, we're only going to have urban for like two or three more years. We get Tom Herman on like a 10, 12 year contract. <laughs> really the math works out. We might as well just do it. So, I mean, right. It makes, uh, it makes some kind of logical sense. I don't know. Well, but, probably not. Yeah. Uh, two other things I want to get to on the national. Uh, one serious, it's as a as somebody who just wants them to lose, even though I got a buddy who uh, works in their administration, it's just so disheartening to watch Alabama be so damn good every yeah. year. Like just this relentless string of stud after stud after stud. like no name nameless faceless guys who just show up in crimson and white and annihilate an opponent and embarrass them and yeah they'll lose an sec game but they're still going to win the sec and they'll still go to the playoff and they're going to be a team you're gonna have to play if you're going to win a national title i have never in my life i don't know if any of us have seen anybody do anywhere what nick saban has done at alabama I mean, nowhere. I mean, it's just the best coaching yeah. job in the history of college football to me. I watched I watched that game like really hoping Alabama would just look crappy somehow. Right. You know what I mean? Like, God, like some small thing would happen. Maybe they only gained two yards on the play. And I'd be like, see there, see, that's just going right. to happen. And, and obviously it didn't. And obviously they were incredible. And it's, I agree. I hate it. It's infuriating. And I don't particularly like Alabama either as a school or as a program right. in terms of how they run it. But that's beside the point because they are incredibly consistently unbelievably good. And it's, it's, 
like you said, it's infuriating. But they're, Plus, they're, I, they're I, so I hateable. Like, did you see yeah. Kiffin tweet about the <laughs> You're right. game like, ball. What? He's such a dickhead. And then he does the tweet. And then you saw they hired Steve Sarkeesian as like an analyst. Right. I'm, I'm like, they're just lawless. Like, they do whatever the heck they want. I mean, uh, I just imagine Saban just like going to a booster and saying, I need $4 million to hire Steve Sarkeesian. What's he going to do? He's going to watch tape for us. Right. All right. Here's your check, coach. Like, it's the craziest thing. And there's just no... I, there's no drop off in sight because he's had, and really what, if you, if we circle back to the beginning of the pod, that's what we are talking about with what we have now at Ohio state is, yeah. and what urban has done here is he's done for Ohio state. What Saban has done for Alabama, the national championships will come uh, because the talent is there and he's a great coach. And the same thing has happened at Alabama. I want to finish uh, the college football week one on an absurd note. Okay. I know you haven't seen it yet. I have this theory. I believe that Matthew McConaughey somewhere along the line became Wooderson. <laughs> I don't think he can tell the difference between Matthew McConaughey and David Wooderson. I don't even know if that's his name. I've only known him as Wooderson. I All don't right. think he knows. I don't think he can tell who he is. I don't, he has the character never stopped for him. He's the same guy. Did you know he has a clothing line? That's just JKL. Just keep living. Like he's got I a clothing. Line. No, I didn't know that's that. That's true. Yeah. He plays bongos blown out of his mind high i just think he's a boozer he's a weed smoker he drives around in, in a you know a golf stream and you know eats subway <laughs> tuna fish sandwiches with ketchup and pickles and he goes to wild turkey distilleries and decides to be the voice of their campaign and he falls into pools in a lincoln ad all of it he is all he is is wooderson i said all of that to get to this he gave a speech to the university of texas at the practice before they played florida state that was the most ridiculous thing for like an actor to give a college football team a speech. Like it was something out of a freaking movie. You have to find it. You have to listen to it and watch it. He's talked to them before and it was crazy then, uh, but he did it again, like this inspirational speech. And I just watched this dude and I love him. Like, I think he's great in almost everything he's done. I find him endlessly entertaining. I've watched the wild Turkey, like infomercial, like six times. I just think it's hilarious. And the fact that he takes himself so seriously, but I really, it just confirmed what I believe that he cannot tell the difference between Matthew McConaughey and Wooderson. He just got super deep into that role and just never, he it's, just he never, never left it. No. <laughs> he couldn't get he out. Just been this he just, guy for 20 years. <laughs> well, I mean, look, so the thing about Matthew McConaughey that I enjoy is you can really tell even when he's, you know, even when he's acting really well, because I saw, you know, the movies that he, I saw the movie that, that what was it? The Dallas, I can't remember the name of the, the movie, but he won the Academy. Dallas Buyers Club, yeah. Yeah, Dallas Buyers. He's great in that movie, but you can always good know he? that he's like, he's, he's acting. You know what I mean? Sure. So like, yeah. whereas, you know, you look at some guys and you can tell that they're acting. It's like, okay, I'm sure they're just a normal person. He just thinks he's Wooders. Like, that's it. Like, he's yeah, just like, I'm this telling is what you. he would do in this role, you know? Like, I'm telling you, he doesn't know the difference. He believes he's Wooderson. He thinks nothing's changed. Like he crushed True Detective season one. He absolutely oh, sure. annihilated it. And obviously he was great in the time to kill. He's been good in a lot of stuff. But yeah. like in, in the heart of the heart, he's just Wooderson. Like I bet he drives a 1970 GTO SS with boss on it. And I bet he just is damn David Wooderson. I just but wouldn't it's you a be crazy if thing. you could be if you could be Wooderson for the rest of your life, wouldn't you be? Like I of would. Course. Like he's got the best lines ever. But anyway, so check out his uh check out that because the absurdity of it is is absolutely priceless. Um do we have, we have some ask us anything's? Yeah, real quick. Let's do ask us anything and then right. I obviously have a culinary review we gotta get to. Well, we, got, um, we got a big one, yeah. It's a big review. I really I put a lot of effort into the research. I believe you did. I look forward to it. 
Well, I, and not only that. Well, you'll see it on the actual uh, on the Dubcast post, but uh, okay. Because I, I actually, I thought your video was great, and I tweeted back at you like it, the, the look that you gave. So I'm not. I don't have high expectations for this review, but the look you gave of your bloody beer was the look of some of the same that my kids give me when I make them eat salmon. Yeah, like, it's just it's it was sorrow. But, I think is the word you're looking for. Anyway, <laughs> this is so this is. This is the uh, the Ask Us Anything section. Uh, you yep. guys can send us uh, questions to ask us anything to dubcast at 11warriors.com, or you can hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. Uh, this is from Greg, Mr. Metz. Uh, he wants to know, first of all, what's your favorite meme? Uh, your meme. What is what is your favorite meme? Uh, what, what's a meme? I don't even know what a meme is. You know, is. like uh, Crying Jordan or you know things along those lines. Just things that we keep oh. repeating, jokes that we can't let go of. Oh, gosh. Jokes that I can't let go of. I would say... Um... I don't know if it's a joke, but like, I love the one with, uh, did you see the wire? Yeah. Did you, you, you saw the wire? What's the, why can't I think of the clay Dave clay Davis? Was that his name? I can't remember. It's been a while. It, the Senator or he's like the state representative or city councilman. He's oh, like yeah, the yeah, most yeah, crooked yeah, good yeah. guy. And he always says, shit. <laughs> I like that one. I like when I see that, when somebody puts that meme up, I like the, I like the clay Davis. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's a good approximation. Yeah. Uh, I would say crying Jordan's still up there with me. I mean, it's, it's so, it is so malleable and and usable, really versatile in in any potential situation. Um, It seems like it's lawless. It seems like you can use it for literally anything. Well, and my favorite one was, I think it was Florida state and somebody put crying Jordan faces like embedded within the uniforms of (laughs) Florida state (laughs) players. That was pretty good. good Uh, All right. He's got another question here. Uh, what's your point of diminishing returns when it comes to restaurants? I had a steakhouse recommended to me recently that had $200 cuts of beef on the menu, and I told them I didn't want to sell my kidneys yet. So where, where's well, the point where you just say, no, I'm, I'm just going to Burger King and we're, we're good? I think if you go to a place with a $200 steak, look, I'm, I, I know that I have certain. I'm trying to think if I've ever done that. Probably pretty close a couple of times back before I had kids and I had a bunch of disposable income. Come, but, <laughs> right. um, the, the, I've done that before and I, I've always left feeling unsatisfied. I think the only way that you can do a $200 steak or even like a $300 meal or something like that is if it's one of two things, if it's bourbon pairing or wine pairing, mm, okay. either one of those two things. In other words, uh, like a chef tasting menu, like those things can get pretty expensive. Um, and I think I did, what the hell's that restaurant? Alenia in Chicago, I had a, a meal that was like 200 and some bucks one time, my wife and I did, but it was worth it because it was like, it took like three and a half hours and there was a drink that came with every course and there was like eight courses and it was uh, phenomenal. The food was yeah, off the charts. It's not just the food, it's, it's the experience. Right, the experience. If you walk into, you know, Hyde Park on the cap and they're trying to spin you a Wagyu Kobe, you know, bone-in <laughs> filet, $200, I think yeah. at that point you walk out. That's right. a walkout situation. You can get to right. But if you've got a, if you got an all night thing, then I think you're getting your money's worth out of that. Fair enough. I, I honestly, if somebody's charged me $200 for a steak, that cow better have had like a law degree or something. Like I'm not, but you get, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like that. It's gotta be like one of those cows from those, those Kobe Wagyu's or whatever that, that they yeah. eat, like they massage their meat and all that stuff. Let me tell um, you but something. Still, quick, even that's right, not worth that. Quick, quick derail. Sorry about that. But uh, so when I lived in Japan, right? I, I lived in a very rural area, and it's not Kobe beef. First of all, you buried the lead. Say again. You lived in Japan. That's incredible. I mean, how yeah, yeah. You know, that could have been a whole dubcast. We had a whole summer. We could have discussed things like that. And you, <laughs> I'm just now figuring it out. 
I'm sorry. I so I used to live. I lived in a really rural area in southern Japan, and it's not Kobe beef that they're really all about. But there is another type of beef that they really, you know, where they massage the cows and do all that other crap. Um, and there was a hoof and mouth disease problem going around. And, and these these cattle are only bred from a stock of like five cattle, and two of them died from hoof and mouth disease. This is a national story, right? Like wow. they they are so invested in like specialty cuts of meat, specialty types of food, fruit, all kinds of other stuff. Um, I never really got to tran- or sample the really amazing stuff. Um, but honestly, like if I'm paying more than fifty dollars for a steak, I, I'm not paying fifty dollars for a steak. So. Yeah. I you know it it is for me it's the presentation I think that's about where I kind of tap out but you know like I said the pairing is always good I, I, like I think that's that's a good point there it's is a experience. steakhouse in there's a steakhouse in Dayton called the Pine Club uh, which is legit and I like that because you just walk in they put you at a table they throw food in front of your face until you get out but it's delicious so yeah see that's a win that. yeah yeah um, all right so last question we have here this is from Alvin uh, he wants to know you know college football had its first game in Sydney between Cal and Hawaii. Uh, (laughs) right. Uh, if Ohio state had to play a game internationally, where would it be? And against who? Well, as a, as a, someone with German descent, I would love to see them like play at the Allianz arena in Munich. Like that'd be great. And there's a lot of Germans in Ohio certainly. And so if I had to pick a place, that would be a place that I would like to see them play. Um, I would imagine there'd be a ton of pull for like Dublin, Ireland, because there's a lot of Irish people obviously in Ohio as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my get. I, for me, it would be Munich. That would be my pick. I, Estadio Azteca, right? And I don't care who oh they play. God. I just, whatever no way the hell I would say. ever. Yeah. There's not enough money in the world to get my ass to go to Mexico City no. and go to I, that you know, That's why you got to play it there because oh I want to see a bunch God. of awkward Ohioans roll into Estadio Azteca, have no oh idea what's God. going on. Our opponent would probably be, um, let's pick somebody, Iowa. Let's do oh Iowa, Ohio State, and Estadio Azteca. The worst part of Mexico. Like, just go to Mexico City. Oh, my God. That's Good awful. Day. I've That's been to Tijuana. It's, it's lovely this time of year. It's great. Yeah. I'll pass. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the, the final analysis, the most important, to bury the lead. Uh, yeah. Last week on the show, I, uh, I uh, recommended you drinking a bloody beer as the perfect hangover cure and also just a delicious beverage to get you set on your tailgate Saturdays. You get set for a noon game. I recommended that beverage on my radio show on Saturday. I've done it on Twitter. Um, I'm, I feel strongly about it. I put my money where my, I just had one tonight when I got back from tasting the, from taping the show, I had one tonight. I did a little Heineken and a little Clamato was delicious. Um, so your review, this, you thought this was an absurdity. You still may, uh, your, your final analysis of the, the bloody beer or the red beer, however you prefer it. All right. So I was, I was obviously talking a lot of crap about it. I I will say this. I gave it an honest chance and I was not going to just, you know, be a huge turd about it. I, I am, I do not think any longer that it's an absurdity. I think my issue with a bloody beer is that I just can't handle the Clamato. It's just not my thing. Um, I had a, yeah. a Budweiser. I, I filled it two thirds of the way full. I put in the Clamato. Yeah. I could not stop thinking about the clam juice the entire time. I know you can't necessarily <laughs> taste it, but it was just haunting me while it went down. I just kept thinking of clams. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, like I thought it just tasted entirely like clams. I know it didn't, but it just, it, it did not take. And but, but, Bo, I can see the appeal. And, and, and frankly, I am not as incredulous as I was before I tried it. So, uh, you well, know, it's not my thing, sort of but a win. it may be someone else's. So more power to yeah. them. I think you can try it. 
I think I'm wondering if you should do, if you try it again, if you should try it with like a V8 or just tomato juice. Maybe, might, maybe the V8 might take actually the V8 or tomato juice because I do like tomato juice and that that might. Okay, then I think that would work. I think if you tried it again uh, with like uh, uh, Budweiser would be fine. Miller High Life would be what I would recommend most. I think I would also highly recommend Dos Equis or Heineken. Both of those are great. And if okay. you do that with like a tomato juice or V8, I think you'll be in better shape. I think because no, no, I'll if, give it a go with get... tomato juice and we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see if that Yeah, works. because I could see how, you know, I never even, I never think about the clam juice with Clamato ever. I've never even it's considered right there it. The now that you say that, I know it's right there, but I've never thought of it. <laughs> um, so I've been drinking that as a pregame for like 15 years. So I can't even, I don't know if I can wrap my head around that. <laughs> but i'm glad you tried it and i look forward to your full dissertation uh as you post the dubcast uh, on wednesday oh yeah i'm completely ignoring literally everything about you know that we just talked about i'm just focusing entirely on the, <laughs> on the bloody fear so. all right buddy well uh so next week we will review tulsa but more importantly we will look ahead to oklahoma absolutely um, and we that will be fun. I look forward to that because that is a really cool football program that they have down there. And um, it's going to be a big fun week for us to, to talk a little football. So until next week, my friend, I will uh, have yourself a good week. And uh, let's see if we can take care of business against Tulsa and look impressive again. And we'll do this uh, fun little show again next week, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. I, I look forward to it.